I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that'll help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, this week on Colorado Hunting Hub, we have a awesome interview with Paul from... Stop the Wolf, or, uh, my goodness, I'm drawing a blank. That doesn't matter. I'll introduce that here in a sec. But I want to thank you again to all the listeners. This is the first episode that I did with some of my new equipment, so I appreciate it so, so much. Not having to worry about internet connection or anything. I was able to record the phone call. It was awesome. And it sounds like the audio is better. Um I believe so. Anyway, it was easier and I've got some better equipment thanks to you guys and donating to the fundraiser. So I appreciate it very, very much. The uh, other things we got going on are uh, I've been putting out some blog or doing some blogging with Big Agnes. So check out those articles that I did. And we still have some of our coupon codes running with Wilderness Athlete using the coupon code Hunting Hub and Branded Bills. Hunting Hub 20. So check those out. And then uh, on X, make sure you sign up for a giveaway. I've been giving those away. So appreciate you again for listening and all the, the support I've been having there. Love chatting with you guys and, and got strings of Facebook messages going back and forth with some of you. So that's been cool, making connections all over the country. So Enjoy this uh, little listen on on wolves, uh, but also we got a good hunting story in there. So thanks. All right, everybody, thanks for checking out Colorado Hunting Hub. Today we have Paul Navar with the uh, Stop the Wolf Coalition, and we want to thank you, Paul, for joining us for this conversation and on a touchy conversation. I'll, I'll call it touchy because it's on a it's on a ballot. And so it's a it's a a conversation that I think we need to have that is flying under the radar. But before we get to that, I'd love to 
you to introduce yourself, give us a little bio, and, and then we'll talk an elk hunting story. Well, I'd be glad to. And, Clint, thanks for having me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to this. Well, I moved to Colorado and uh, from Ohio in uh, 1991. And uh, when people asked my wife, Trisha, why did you guys do that? She says, well, Paul just wanted to bow hunt elk every year instead of coming out here every couple of years. So we moved out from Ohio after I got my kids out of college and married and uh, per- bought a tourist lodge in Lake Granby and ran that as a bed and breakfast restaurant tavern for uh, for 10 years, sold it two months before 9-11, moved to Fort Collins, uh, where I retired, but I've been very involved in the Colorado Bowhunters Association. I was on the board of directors for seven years. I was the division liaison for six, attended every wildlife commission and workshop for six years all over the state. So I learned how passionate the staff of the Division of Wildlife, now Parks and Wildlife, and the commission is to oversee and manage Colorado's wildlife for everybody to enjoy. And um, I, I'm a, basically, I'm a archery hunter. Uh, I've Colorado Big 8 with the bow. I lack a moose and a desert bighorn sheep, but I've taken the other eight. Uh, this year, I killed my 13th bull elk with the bow. Uh, and uh, I'm going to Nebraska for deer hunting and probably down, back down to Arizona for cow's deer hunting in January. Maybe I'll throw in a mule deer hunt down there. So I've been very involved with that. I, uh, I was raised as a Boy Scout so I, <laughs> and, a, and a Cub Scout, so I had a lot of outdoor skills. And back in the 40s and 50s, there was no TV, no smartphones, no none of this, so you just had to make do. But I grew, grew up in a rural area on northern Ohio on the duck marshes and would wait around and club carp and shoot ducks and just had a good old time. So I'm still, even though I'm had the pleasure of turning 80 last March. I'm physically able to backpack in as I do and solo hunt and uh, stay in for a couple of weeks by myself. And I enjoy that solitude and I enjoy the challenge of it all. That's impressive. So that's a little. That's a little background of myself. That's impressive, and I certainly hope I am as mobile as you are at, at 80 and and out still doing what we love to do. That's awesome. Well, the whole the whole secret there is staying strong so i go i used to run a couple of marathons back when i was in my late 30s i ran a bunch of 10ks and a lot of half marathons before i moved to colorado and then i've hiked a lot and i bike still bike uh on my mountain bike around the town and out in the country roads but i go to the gym in the winter almost every day and work out and keep strong and i think that's the whole thing if i'm going to carry 60 pounds up the mountains like i do to my campsite in a in uh in two miles and gain 1600 feet you got to maintain the legs and the lungs so i keep doing that and i know eventually being 80 how long can i do that so every year around january or february i go okay how am i doing am i is how are my legs how are my lungs do i have any issues and now i'm able to say well no so i'm going to keep doing what i'm doing i know one day that it's not going to happen but uh that will come in the future. So I'm hoping for another 10 good years. Awesome. And we're going to actually do an episode on uh, Pilates and hunting. I got a certified uh, Pilates instructor that I work with that she said, you need to do an episode on this. It's like, that sounds great. <laughs> we'll absolutely sure. do that. And, and that sure. in- involves staying strong and flexible. And so very cool. Uh, so you shot an elk this year already. And uh, I know your goal was with a recurve, but do you want to just tell that little story? 
I will. I'll t- so I'll tell two quick stories. One is my bucket list was to kill an, a bull elk with my recurve. I've killed a couple of whitetails. Matter of fact, I killed my first Pope and Young whitetail in Nebraska with the recurve. And uh, I've killed uh, geese with the recurve. And also uh, I shoot geese off the ground. And last year I killed 17, and one of them was with the recurve at 22 yards. And that's a lot of fun out of a enclosed blind over decoys. So uh, I've enjoyed cool. the recurve. So I thought this year I'm going to get one a bull elk. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. I was up in my tree stand over a wet wallow, and here comes a bull, and he's at 19 yards, and I draw back, and I shoot, and the arrow kicks, kicks off the string to the left, which it shouldn't be doing, and it dives at the leg of the elk, and of course, he had no idea what happened. He jumps back, and I figured out later what had happened is that the service string, the serving on the string was too tight on the inner side of the knock, and when I released, it hung on just for a marginal second and it allowed the arrow to kick off to the left and dive to the ground. And so my bucket list is still full of that idea of killing a bull with my compound or recurve bow next year. So, uh, But the bull I did kill, it snowed a couple of days later, and I went home and came back. So I let the elk, I've killed 13 elk now, and I've been hunting elk for about 25 years, and uh, I let the elk tell me how to hunt them. And so this year it's been so dry and warm and so water was the key and shelter, and of course they need food. So I hunted an area, I was up in the flat top wilderness area, and I knew of some wallows, and I checked them out, and sure enough, they were being hit. I had no action for elk in the day, in the morning. So they were heading back, and of course it was a full moon, as most of you guys remember. Yeah. And the elk were moving back in their bedding areas, and the only thing I heard once in a while was just a little... Okay, girls, I'm heading back to my bedding area. If you're interested, come on up. And they'd go, yeah, and that was it. No full bugle, no cows or an estrus, so there was no competition going on. Hmm. So I thought the best thing to do is just hang a tree stand over a wet pillow. And, and so in the evening, that's when I had all my actions. And even though, even when I killed my bull on the 16th, he came to wallow at quarter of seven. I'd just done some really light cow calls, not to intimidate him by sounding like a bull down there. And he comes waltzing in. I shot him at 22 yards. He was a nice five by five bull. So I followed him up through the timber, down the ravines, up the other side, over logs, through snags, down trails, until I about 10:30. There was no more blood. I circled ahead of me, 20 yards, 30 yards, 35 yards, back and forth, looking for anything I could find. I gave up. I turned around. I took three steps, going back to my backpack. I looked down. There was blood right there. I went, you got to be kidding. Wow. And showing me the direction of the splatter. I headed uphill another 50 yards, 60 yards, and I went, boy, it smells like an elk bedding area up above because I can just smell that urine. urine." And I said, wait a minute, that's not urine. That's a dead elk smell or a dead smell. And it reminded me of when I found my bighorn sheep back in 97 over near Georgetown. I shot him the night before, and the next day I found him with the wind coming up the hill, and I smelled a dead animal. I walked over there, and there he was, nice full coral ram. Wow. So I go up there, and I followed my nose like a little beagle. So no blood, but following your nose up the hill, every time I drifted too far right or left, I lost it. I went another 75 yards, came around a blowdown, and there he was dead. I was able to take get all the meat off of him, even though he had been on the ground for probably 12 hours. Got it all in meat bags, hung it up, 
grabbed the antlers and my bow, hiked back to camp uh, a mile away, took down my whole camp and put it in two backpacks, left it there, hiked down the mountain two miles, drove six miles to an outfitter who I knew. I said, are you going to be available to pack an animal in the morning? He said, be here by 7. By 8 o'clock, we were at the trail, got up. We had to walk the horses through the, the woods to get my elk meat out of the tree. Nothing had bothered it. I got it down by noon. I was in uh, a small town getting ice an hour later and got home and processed the whole thing in my garage and my kitchen. And so now we got, what, 130, 40 pounds of great elk meat to eat. So Awesome. That's uh, yeah, and that but that was a challenge. That was one of the biggest trailing challenges I've ever had is finding that elk this year. But luckily, I used all my senses from eyes to uh, ears to nose, and it, it worked out. So yeah, just a little story that your your reader or your followers can use their nose sometimes and find their dead animals, or look for ravens, or look for uh, or look for birds that might be around. I found an elk that way years ago when right. the magpies were. We're flying around in this uh, old burn cut. I walked over there, and there was my elk from the night before, and she turned out fine. So, Good deal. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to move on to our topic sure. for the day, and I'd love for you to give us a little intro on Stop the Wolf Coalition, Coloradans Protecting Wildlife, or Rethink the Wolf. What What are those organizations? How did you get involved? And, uh, yeah, give us a little little bio on those. Sure. So I'm going to say this first, is that I would expect the majority of your followers know something about the wolf issue, and most likely, probably they're educated enough to believe that probably this isn't the greatest idea to force introduce wolves into Colorado. And so I, I always say we're kind of speaking to the choir, because some of you guys out there will say, oh, yeah, I know about this or this and that. So, oh, yeah, maybe I'll learn something today. What's important that you gather up these facts, and I'm going to give you a couple of websites you can do that with. Get these facts, because you need to pass these on to the, your non-choir friends and people that you might just ask the question, are you aware of the wolf issue in Colorado? And you'd be surprised how many people will say no. Even some of your hunting buddies might not know this. So here's two websites, and then I'll get into a little bit more. So one is stopthewolf.org, stopthewolf.org. There will be a tremendous amount of facts there based on our outlook on the wolves in Colorado that you need to have as bullets in your holster. let's put it that way. The other one is uh, Coloradoans Protecting Wildlife. And their PAC political action committee is Rethink the Wolf. And they are made up of livestock producers, cattlemen, sheep, on and on and on in Colorado. So those are those two web websites, and those are the two organizations that are doing anything to help spread the word, although we've had some backers to, to, to bring money forth. For an example, the Colorado Bow Hunters donated $10,500. The traditional bow hunters, which I'm a member of, donated $5,000. Uh, NRA got involved and in, in is offering some uh, legislative device, uh, advice. I think Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and there's others that have contributed money. And then, of course, we're asking anybody that can donate a buck or two. That would be great because it costs money to do these types of things. So the Stop the Wolf organization, which I got involved in, uh, it was formulated in, uh, by two gentlemen over in Grand Junction. And uh, 
and they have a lot of backing of uh, the Cattlemen's Association and hunting organizations. And they said the only way we're ever going to uh, uh, fend off this this uh, vote uh, is to get the information out there and factual information. And so what they did, first of all, they said, we need to do a telephone poll. So they hired a company to do a telephone poll across Colorado, and they asked a variety of questions. And uh, the first question was, uh, based on what you know about the wolf issue in Colorado, how would you vote today? And it was interesting that over 75% of the people said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Maybe we will hear one or see one or da-da-da. Once they were giving a lot of information and this information and facts you'll find on both of these websites, they in turn then less than 45% of those same individuals said, oh, yeah, based on the facts you just gave me, I would vote no. So they learned then that we need to get the facts out, and that's what these two websites are about, and that's sort of what I'm about I gave a presentation to the State Muzzleloading Association before the pandemic came, and they voted unanimously to support uh, Stop the Wolf, and they donated some money. I gave a, uh, a seminar to the uh, local uh, Fort Collins uh, Rotary Group, and uh, they were polite and listened to my uh, conversation. And I was going to do more of that, but of course, when the pandemic hit, then all the social media, not so much social media, but the, the meetings were, were canceled. So uh, that kind of put a strap to that a little bit. So uh, yeah, I this think is, this is definitely flying under the radar right now. <laughs> you No doubt about I, it. I heard more about it in April and March, and then as the pandemic hit, it's covering that up. And our other social issues came up. And then presidential coverage is the main concern right now and people focusing on that. And this is going to be detrimental that it's being covered up uh so i sure. applaud yep. you and thank you for for doing your part as an individual and what you can with your reach so i would be curious i'm gonna have this conversation with my wife later is to if it weren't for me and my involvement in the outdoors and hunting and just her as a individual who's probably on the fence with a lot of different things and and mm -hmm. listens and likes to stay informed where would she stand and someone that is appreciates the outdoors but is not as near as involved as i am and is not a hunter and, and so i'm i'm curious about that just there's so many people just like her that are, would be uninformed if it weren't for me so I'll, i'm gonna have that sure. conversation sure well you know there's no doubt about it that the wolf whether it's a a arizona wolf or a north carolina red wolf or a timber wolf up in alaska and, and canada or wolves in minnesota and michigan and across the northern tier they are a gorgeous animal no doubt about it you see pictures of them with those gray eyes looking at you and uh, no doubt about it but there's places for wolves and there is not places for wolves so this whole issue is not so much being anti-wolf what it is is it's it's an issue about the forced reintroductions of gray wolf into colorado by outside interests and right. those outside interests uh and i'll name a few so you've got the tide fund out of california and it's a kind of a brokerage outlet for people who want to donate money for causes and then they they take that money and they 
expand it out to a variety of organizations and the northern the uh north america the uh, let's see the northern rockies wolf fund coalition uh was one of that and they donated over three hundred thousand dollars to them so that's one source of outside uh defenders of wildlife donated a hundred thousand dollars or plus uh the colorado sierra club uh, donated i think twenty thousand uh the zoo and here's where you'd never think it came from the, the the U.S. Zoo and Aquarium Association donated a thousand, a, a few hundred thousand dollars, or a hundred thousand. And that's what drives zoo me nuts. Zoo and Aquarium Fund, right yeah. there. We were just at the yeah. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo on Monday. There you go. Beautiful yes. zoo, and yes. they hand you the quarters to go put into the conservation thing at the very beginning. And I'm like, no, we're not doing these these ones or the the African animals and whatever else. Yes, I love elephants, great, those are cool. But you know what? They're probably going to go to something like this. Uh, That's, and, and I'll 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 feed upon that in a second. And what we because did is I, I took I took my family over to the the black footed ferret and the and the toad, and I said these okay. are local issues. This is what we're gonna we're gonna help out. But yeah, uh, yeah, go on. So the other the other organizations or guys, people that have donated money. Uh, a biodiversity guy at a boulder donated $100,000. Steve Ferris, who wrote the, the book on the four-day work week and has a big blog and a lot of followers, he donated $100,000 in kind to have his all of his followers donate another $100,000 of dollars real. So they, they came up with $1.4 million to get this after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. To go forward, yeah, they got it approved by the Secretary of State, and it's, uh, it's going to be voted on November 3rd, yes or no. So that's where that money came from. And what's, what's that really telling us in Colorado is that the people from outside of Colorado know, about, know more about Colorado and its wildlife and its management than we do. And being the CBA division liaison for six years and going to all these wildlife commissions, meetings, and workshops for those six years. I learned a lot about the commission at the time, and I also learned a lot about the staff and the biologists and the trained biologists that we have that go through the, the scientific game management process. And I know how committed they were to Colorado's wildlife. I learned a lot that way. And they are on record in 2016, the commission is on record in Resolution uh, 1601 opposing the intentional release of any wolves in the Colorado. And then they also developed a, a citizens advisory group, a 14-member group made up of a variety of citizens in Colorado that 
that su- supported a certain interest from biologists, and conservationists, to probably even a wolf person, and they came up with a a, a plan of what if wolves and what will we do when wolves migrate naturally in the Colorado. So again, this isn't about being anti-wolf because the Colorado Division of Wildlife is already on record saying we will let them migrate in naturally and then we will manage them with a, and let them find their own habitat, mate if they need to. Uh, if they get in trouble, we'll use the, the, most, the least lethal methods to take care of that individual or a group. And then if they get in real trouble, then we'll have to uh, go a step higher, which is, which is, makes sense. So uh, that's what the Citizens Advisor Group came up. So we're on record. We have a plan, and we also are not anti-wolf. It's uh, more of uh, let them come in naturally. Right. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's uh, it's being forced upon us. And that's the whole thing. Nobody likes to be told what to do, and particularly here in Colorado and our Wildlife Commission. And the bad, the sad thing about it, based on voting statutes, the Division of Wildlife cannot say a peep about this. Basically, I call it a gag order. Once this gets on the the uh, to be voted on, they have a gag order. They can't come out publicly and say anything about it. That's why you haven't heard anything. Right. Even though they're against it, you haven't heard anything. They can't say anything. So that's too bad. So it's up to those couple of organizations and people like myself and and uh, Clint here that was having me on to kind of spread the word that this is not a good idea. And uh, the other thing is uh, we have about 64 counties here in Colorado. 39 of them, more than half, have developed and signed a county resolution opposing the forced introduction of the gray wolf into Colorado. They know once the wolf gets established, and it might be 20 years down the road when it gets all said and done, they know the impact that the wolves will have on their economy and on their livestock and on their people over time. And so uh, I even gave a presentation to Larimer County commissioners, but uh, being uh, they didn't want to get involved politically, so they didn't go on. But we do have counties surrounding us that got on, on board. So that's good. So that gives you some idea of uh, who's behind this and who's against it. And uh, it's just sort of a bad idea. And the cost of this, one thing you never hear about from the pro-wolfers is that who's going to pay for this? And so I have in my hand right here the legislative staff console initial fiscal impact. And so if this, before, if this before you get go to, ahead. before you get to that, I want to ask a okay. just a review kind of thing. So we had a citizens petition. I'm assuming that's how where that kind of got started, and then to put this on our ballot, they got enough yes. signatures, enough support, financial support from yes. Probably a lot like the uh, Bobcat uh, petition ban that, or, bear, oh, or, or 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 the bear season or yep. the trapping, yeah. And mm-hmm. when I looked at all the names and supporters on that, it was doctors and all these people, mostly non-residents and people from other other states and even other countries, which is interesting. Sure. So then, mm-hmm. now on November third, we will have an initiative to vote on to have reintroduced. Forced reintroduction of wolves or not? A yes or a no? Yes. Awesome. That's, that's where exactly we're at. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's where we're at. Uh, so yes. So some now, might say, well, why why are they doing this? 
And we already have wolves in Colorado. So probably over the last 15 years, a few wolves, either individuals or pairs, mostly individuals, have wandered down from the uh, the wolves that were reintroduced to, to Yellowstone. Uh, the first wolf that I heard about, and of course, even prior to that, in the early 2000s, somebody would always say, oh yeah, I, I know I saw a wolf. It must like years ago when people started seeing grizzly bears. Uh, there was no proof of that, but a wolf was killed on the interstate, the side of Glenwood Springs, and she had a collar around her neck. She was killed on the on the highway, and she had traveled all the way down from Yellowstone, and she must have ventured 1,500 miles on her circular route that she zigzagged across. And other wolf, there's a black wolf wandering around North Park around Walden. They got a camera on him, and actually they got a GPS collar on him. There's a group north of Larimer County and near the Wyoming border. And then uh, there's also a, a recent pack that was discovered over in the northwest corner around Browns Park. I think there was five or six wolves there, and they've done some investigating. They've seen them. They've got them on camera. They've investigated their their uh, feces to check for uh, for any type of uh, diseases that might they might hold, and and uh, some of them did. Uh, so there that's, are some wolves in Colorado, and that's just and the so documented some people ones. Might, Pardon? That's just the documented ones, the ones that are well, like. That is true. Because <laughs> yeah. you ask any oil and gas person in the Northwest here, you right. ask one out of ten. I bet they've got a wolf sighting or something like that. They are here mm-hmm. in in greater numbers than than uh, uh, what is probably being publicized. Sure. Well, let me add something that is crucial to finding out where these wolves are. So, if your followers go- see a wolf. And a lot of people are carrying GPS so they can get a longitude and latitude. A lot of people carry cameras so they can get a picture. But most important is register on the division website. There's a place you can go and you can register and that, that email or that, that information will be sent to Division of Wildlife and it will show them where you saw this wolf or wolves, what's the GPS coordinate of it, what time of day was it. And uh, that would be very important. So then instead of just hearsay or, yeah, Joe Blow thought he saw a wolf, but it turned out to be a big coyote, then we can really start pinpointing where these wolves are. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, yeah, it would would be, yeah, it would be. So So we started talking about financials, and I'd love to dive back into that. So uh, you've got some pretty outstanding numbers there. Chat about that. Well, and and here's the, so, as I have delved into this, I have a I have a a packet of information on my desk here that's probably a foot tall, and I've done a lot of investigating. Of let's take a look at Yellowstone, let's take a look at Idaho and Wyoming and Montana, let's take a look at Michigan and and Idaho and uh, and Minnesota and Wisconsin, and let's look at Maine and let's look at the wolves down in Arizona. How did this all come about, and who did what to who? So I so talking about financials. So one thing that really lit up my threw up a red flag to me about the about the northern rockies wolf recovery area which included idaho montana and 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 uh, the greater yellowstone area i.e uh wyoming they guesstimated it cost the federal government through the u.s fish and wildlife service and our tax money between five hundred thousand and million dollars per wolf over the over the 15 or 20 year period that they've been investigating and monitoring and and doing all this flying and uh, on and paying 
uh, some people have been paying uh, cattlemen for their losses and this and that. So 500000 to a $1 million per wolf. They brought in uh, 34 wolves into Yellowstone in 1994, and I think a year later, the same year, they brought in the same amount into Idaho. And now, now there's over 2,000 wolves in those three states, plus a few in Washington and about 10 or 20 in Northern California. And so uh, that was the wolf recovery area up there. Uh, and then very, very briefly, another wolf recovery area was Minnesota, uh, Michigan, Upper Michigan, and Wisconsin. And there's about uh, 2,600 wolves in Minnesota, 900 in Wisconsin. And when I was going to college in uh, 1966 to 71 in the UP, I remember them bringing in some wolves from Minnesota and they released them up in the Upper Peninsula where I was living, and uh, none of them survived. They got trapped. They got hit by cars. They got shot. They just didn't make it. But now they reintroduced them again, and now there's between 600 and 700 wolves in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and about 100 in the Lower Michigan. So there's that's a recovery area also. So the only three states that they're actually not protected anymore under the Fish and Wildlife Service and delisted are the three states north of us. So the fiscal impact was huge up there in the Wyoming, Montana, Idaho area. So in my hand, I have the legislative council staff's initial fiscal impact statement. So if this happens to pass in the year 2001 and 2002, it will cost the Division of Wildlife $350,000 just for staffing and making a plan and also having public meetings. And then in 2022 and 2023, it will cost an additional because more staff has to come in. And this is even before a wolf hits the ground. It's going to be $470,000. So we're talking $800,000 for the first two years just to get this going. And uh, we know and I know that the Division of Wildlife, now Parks and Wildlife, is strapped for funds. And even with this pandemic, the state is strapped for funds. And I'm sure most of your readers know that the Division of Wildlife or now Parks and Wildlife is not funded by the general budget of right. the state. It comes so the Division of Wildlife, Parks and Wildlife, is an enterprise system, and they get their monies from user fees, hunter license fees, and and uh, fishing license fees. Seventy-five percent of that comes from that. Test. Um, here, can I interrupt you? Test me yeah, on this. Ahead. I think I can get it. I want to see if I can get the funding right. 12% coming from GoCo funds? True. So lottery money. And then another yes. 12 from Pittman-Robertson? Right. 11% on Got it. firearms, ammunition, and archery equipment is paid back to the state based on the number of hunting and fishing licenses sold. Right. And so that's where we get that money. And so the state doesn't pay anything. For the Division of Wildlife, some states do. They have a little tax base, maybe a half a half a point or a full credit to to fund the wildlife. But Colorado's never been that way. So, uh, I suppose the legislature could pass something to compensate cattlemen for their loss. But with this pandemic going on and them spending millions of dollars on that, I just don't see that happening, and it may not happen. So I always think that it's going to come out of the game cash fund our money that we spent so heartily on on managing wildlife in Colorado. So that's going to be the fiscal breakdown. It's going to be, oh, so then after the first two years, it's guesstimated it's going to cost between 5 and $6 million 
over the next eight years to manage wolves in Colorado. So we're always talking about, well, okay, how many wolves are we talking about? I don't know at this time, but I, even on this fiscal impact statement, it says, well, 10 to 20 the first year, and then maybe 10 and 20 somewhere else, and 10 and 20 somewhere else. Well, I know there's four areas in Colorado that have been designated somewhat to take wolves, and that's going to be the wilderness areas. The flat top is going to one, be one. The Wilmanich is going to be one. And there's two others on western Colorado that are going to be designated most likely to be where the wolves are going to be introduced. And on, on the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the initiative also states it can go on private lands. So designated public and private lands west of the Continental Divide is where the wolves are going to go. And what it tells me is that nobody along the front range has anything invested in this and nothing at risk. All the risk and the invest and, and and people invested in this are are other than hunters and fishermen are the people out west that have the uh the uh, outfitting uh, uh, businesses, the cattle, the uh, livestock and even people that live there that just have pets and horses and llamas are at risk somewhat. And uh so where is the money going to come from to compensate them for that? That's up in, for grabs now. So it will definitely have an impact uh, on not only that but our wildlife. So so uh, yeah, go I, ahead and ask another question, and we'll get into what wolves might do to our wildlife. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of where my, my questions lie a little bit is, is uh, I chatted with a – what was his role? Predator biologist, I believe, in Wyoming, just outside mm-hmm. of his Cody. And he said, well, your elk will be fine. It's your moose. And mm-hmm. all the money we've go. spent in, on moose. And people yeah. love seeing moose. He probably loves it. The, the wildlife viewers probably love seeing moose more than elk. It's just one of those giant, majestic, awesome animals right. that it just would be sad to see. Our growing moose population, which is absolutely blowing up, which, which is so cool to see, and yeah. ha- seeing the issues on that. So what what, what do you think some of those impacts are going to be? You've got – is it going to be like a drop these wolves here and the elk and moose are, oh, crap, I don't know what you are and sure. decimated? Or is it will they figure that out? Or are gonna Yeah, talk to us about some yeah. of those things. Well, I, I, I believe you're right about our Colorado moose. We have, there's an estimate, we have 3,500 Colorado moose now in Colorado spread out all over the state. Uh, and you're even issuing some license along the front range in the hills here. And, and of course, I've been applying for 25 years, probably like you have, and haven't drawn one. And so I probably never will in my lifetime, but that's the odds of, of right. being in that system. And I, I saw something, a study about uh, how elk and, and, and moose move away from wolf pack. And so when, when wolves got to uh, 500 yards or 1,000 yards of, 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 of elk, they would run. And usually they're a herd animal, but sometimes not. But they had the ability to flee somewhat. Moose have a tendency to stand their ground, and they're more individuals. You'll see a couple bulls together. Maybe you'll see a bull and a cow and a calf together. Maybe you'll see a cow and a calf together earlier in the season. But they like to be down on the willow bottoms where they're eating, and they feel somewhat protected. But once a wolf pack surrounds them or gets within uh, 
500 yards of them. Then they start moving a little bit, but they would like to hide. They don't like to run, and they really don't have much places to run through this timber. And we had a video at our booth at the Sportsman Show last January on a large screen, and it showed a pack of wolves surrounding a cow, moose, and her calf. And they were standing in about knee-deep water to try to get some protection, and a wolf pack surrounded them, and eventually they lured the cow moose away from the calf and they grabbed it and and got it up on the bank and tore it apart and ate it. And so, yeah, I think uh, the millions of dollars that we've spent on the moose uh, here in Colorado and the, and the the 20, what is it? The 54,000 bow or hunters that apply for moose tags every year and only uh, uh, 300 of them get a tag. Uh, That's kind of a life on a, you know, once in a lifetime hunt or never hunt. So I think it will impact the moose. Uh, it's been said in average. So an average elk, that's not true. An average wolf will kill between 700 and tw- having a senior mona here. The average elk will kill, and say that again, the average wolf <laughs> will kill between 17 and 22 elk a year. Wow. All right? That's a lot. Between 17 and 22 elk per year per wolf. So... You got a hundred wolves. You can do the math. You have two hundred wolves. You can do the math. Bow hunters, for an example, kill about five thousand elk a year. If we had thirty-four hundred elk for yeah, at a minimum yeah, if, for yeah, if we had three hundred wolves. wolves in Colorado, they would be killing 200. as many as the bow hunters do. Yeah. Now, what impact? So we have what two hundred eighty-five thousand elk in Colorado. Yeah. And will it will it eliminate the elk in Colorado? No. Uh will it impact uh, the elk herds in some area? It certainly will. Make management uh, harder. It'll make management harder. What about the areas down near Durango that are having terrible calf recruitment right now based on who knows, predators, habitat, drought, uh they have eliminated, actually, they eliminated the over-counter archery tags down there and made it all limited bull only, and now they're cutting down a lot of their rifle cow tags to try to get recruitment coming back. The wolves don't care about any of that. They're just after a meal, and so they could really impact that area a lot. So that's just one area that could be uh, in trouble if wolves were brought in over time. Uh, the other animal that they go after is deer. But there's certainly plenty of elk in Colorado that they can feast on. Uh, will it eliminate elk hunting in Colorado? No. Will it make an impact on it? Yes. Will it will it be harder to draw certain areas? Now, for example, I hunt the flat top wilderness area, and I have to draw that every couple of years. But if the wolves are in there, and there's a pack of three or four or five or six packs of wolves in there, and they're killing off two or three uh, hundred elk or a thousand elk in a year. That's going to impact my drawing statistics and not allow me to hunt there maybe every three or four years. So that could have a, a definitely impact there. And, of course, if I don't show up over there every few years, then that's going to be less income for those families that are in the guiding service and the packing service and even the local communities. So that could have an impact there. Uh, so, yeah, it, no doubt about it. So I try to tell people, don't compare Colorado with Yellowstone. <clears throat> there was no doubt about it that there was seventeen and 19,000 elk in the greater Yellowstone area. 
and probably the wolf helped eliminate 45% of those. But there was hunting going on also. There was a drought going on. There was a fire going on. So you can't blame the wolf on all of them. And, and, but they did have a huge impact on that whole tourist industry over there it's as far as the hunting goes and the hunting outfitting business. And now we have 2,000 wolves in that whole area, not in, only in Yellowstone. Actually, there's only 100 wolves left in Yellowstone. And they're starting to prey on the bison because they're running out of some of the other elk where they're just tremendous, and that's why they grew so much. But there's, hmm. there's less than 100 wolves in Yellowstone today. And, uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And now they have a hunting season. Of course, they have a hunting season in Montana and Idaho. Right. Because the Fed said once they get to this threshold of 200 wolves or 250, as, as your plan says, then you can lop off the top 50 or 100. We have a hunting season. And in Wyoming, they only have a restricted area around Yellowstone and then a little trophy area around that. And then the rest of the state, they're treated almost like a coyote. It's an open season on on wolves uh, throughout the whole year. And uh, that is one of the arguments that the pro-wolfers have. They say, we've been waiting 25 years for wolves to migrate into Colorado naturally, and a few have made it but not enough to sustain the wolf population because they have to go through this gauntlet of Wyoming to get here. And we don't see that happening. And this is why we're going to force the issue. And so they knew we were a ballot initiative state. And we knew that they knew that the wildlife commission had a gang order once it got on the ballot and they couldn't comment on it. And then they play on emotions and that's how it's where it is today. And uh, it's going to be interesting where this is all going to go. And what's the rush? Why do we need them here right now? 25 because, years in the history of yeah. wildlife is nothing. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, they they found they found the pro wolfers. There's 17 pro wolf organizations across the United States, and if you go to Colorado State University, there's and all these universities has a group of pro wolfers. They have a table they set up and they sell T-shirts and they're at the farmers market where I address some of them. All, wanting to get people to get on the pro, on the wolf background, and they so it's very emotional. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's Absolutely. a gorgeous animal in the right pl- in the right place. But Colorado, with its six million people coming up, is not the right place for wolves. First of all, it's not fair to bring in wolves into Colorado because there are going to be a lot of conflicts, not only from tourism. I'll, I won't. I don't even want to address the the wildlife viewers because. Uh, Colorado is a lot different than Yellowstone. Yellowstone is 2.2 million acres of almost a huge wilderness area, and it's got a few roads going through it, and people on open hillsides. I've seen videos of people trying to hunt in Montana where it's a wide-open country, and they're trying to stalk elk across these huge meadows, and Yellowstone is sort of like that, but you don't see much of that here in Colorado. So to see a wolf or hear a wolf may not be an opportunity that people might take advantage of. Yeah. But uh, – <laughs> yeah. But there are people all over the world that just just love the wolves, and they will go long distances to view them. And no, there's no doubt about it; they're gorgeous animals. But uh, not here in Colorado. That's what we're trying to we're, we're trying to protect the Western way of life in Western Colorado. These are ranchers. These are livestock growers. These are people that have moved out there with with horses and and sheep and uh, and other types of livestock, and trying to have that Western way of life. And and a lot of people think that's why they. People or Coloradoans protecting wildlife are made up of so many cattlemen's organizations, and that's why so many county commissioners got involved. That they understand that 
the impact that the wolf could have over time, and it would there's nothing positive about it. Right. So, and I want to talk a little bit about the North American model of conservation, wildlife conservation. Yeah. It is people don't know about it, and they should. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's sometimes. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal: develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Even in the circles of uh, wildlife management, it's forgotten about at times there too. And I did a whole episode on this, but... There are seven concepts. Wildlife is a public resource. Uh, Markets for game are eliminated. We allocate the wildlife by law through regulated hunting. Wildlife is not wasted. Uh, The CITES Act, Migratory Bird Act was part of that. And science is a proper tool for wildlife policy. And hunting is for everyone. Mm -hmm. No matter uh, your race, financial status, whatever. So where does the North American model fit into all this? Or where does the wolf fit into the whole, this whole issue fit into the North American model? Well, a lot of things have changed over the last hundred years in the United States. And even since if the wolf was eliminated from Colorado in the, in the early 1940s and across a lot of the states where wolves were present in its historic range, let's call it that historic range, and so even though wolves were here in Colorado in the, in the early 40s and were eliminated, basically, Colorado still has a historic range of being wolf country. So I'm going to circumvent your question a little bit here. No problem. So we have the historic range, and then we have areas that the Fish and Wildlife Service under the Endangered Species Act has designated as recovery areas. And the recovery area was Yellowstone, Idaho, Montana, and uh, and uh, Wyoming, and there's another recovery area, and it's pretty natural up there in Minnesota. A lot of those wolves just migrated in, but they were reintroduced to Upper Michigan, and then Wisconsin has a group too, and Maine has some that have migrated in, and then there's a wolf, there's a red wolf population down in Arizona, New Mexico. So these are recovery areas. So the pro wolf organizations want they're not satisfied with the recovery areas because the draft statement of the Fish and Wildlife Service who wants to delift wolves saying, okay, they're recovered fine. They're recovered in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota. They've recovered in, in the three states north of us. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing okay down in Arizona, although that they're probably not doing as okay, but that's an individual genetic species down there of a wolf. Um, but they're doing fine in the recovery areas, so let it go. Let's delist them statewide. The pro-wolfer said, no way. We're not going to delist them in the recovery areas. We're, we want them – that's not right. We want to recover them in their historic range. And since Colorado was never part of the recovery area in the first place, but in the historic range, that is why they're going to force them on us. They want them here. They want to connect all the dots from Maine through – Michigan through Wisconsin, Minnesota, across the Dakotas into Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Michigan, not Michigan, but uh, uh, Montana, 
I said that again. But anyway, they want to connect the dots, and then they want to connect the dots from Wyoming all the way down to Arizona and through Colorado, and we're in the way. Utah just passed a, uh, a House and, and Senate resolution uh, saying no way is anybody going to force wolves on us, and they passed that as a state law. That was proactive. So they're not going to put up. Yeah, Utah just did that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty proactive so to conserva- prevent, <laughs> prevent what we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. So the conservation model, uh, is basically it's fu- funded by sportsmen, but in Colorado, all the wildlife belongs to all citizens of Colorado, and I have no problem with that. The unfortunate thing is all the citizens of Colorado don't pay their fair share. A lot of people think that uh, it's covered by state tax money, and they don't have a clue. That's why we had all these Hugga fishermen and Hugga hunter prog- ads on TV, but people just didn't get it. Unfortunately, they just didn't get the message. They didn't have a clue where that money was coming from. And if they did, so what? You know, okay, so what? So uh, the conservation model is uh, scientific game management based on the best science out there. And Colorado goes by that. I've talked to our biologists. I've talked to regional managers. I've talked to division heads. And and they all believe in scientific game management and North American big game conservation model where hunters – have a lot at stake. They are willing to put up the bucks through fishing and hunting license. They're the management tools. And I, I'm, I'm going to say this with lightly, they are the wolf in our woods, the hunters is. They are, they are deemed the managers of our wildlife as a tool for the division to maintain healthy herds and then have healthy herds for everybody to enjoy in Colorado if they're wildlife viewers or not. And so that's part of the conservation model. So, um, I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer in scientific game management. I'm a firm believer in facts. Uh, I talked to a gal on a blog the other day, and she was uh, a member of uh, the Sierra Club and Defenders of Wildlife. And I said, show me one place in Colorado where the wolf will bring back the critical balance of nature, as it says in the, uh, in the, uh, in, in the initiative. And she, and she finally got back to me on this blog, and she says, well, aspens are dying. And the state forest says it's because we're not burning this forest enough and because of the new shoots are being uh, eaten by large-hoofed ungulates. And I went, so I did some research. And even though that is partly true, there's probably more aspens in Colorado than there ever has been. And, of course, we have cattle and sheep grazing in the forest, so they can certainly do that. It's not. And I said, there's no way that wolves will even have it – well, there's no way that wolves will change that. And there's diseases, and of course there's drought, and there's blight, and all the other things are going on in the forest that the aspen grows, or some of some aspen grows, especially in southwest Colorado, are, are not doing well. But the wolf will never bring back the critical balance of nature and the ecosystem in Colorado. It's changed too much. It's gone from 500,000 people to a million to almost 6 million. And what's your guess in the next 20 years? That Colorado will be 70 million? People. Oh, yeah, easy. Probably. Easy. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So we hunters have a lot at stake here. Uh, we need everybody's support to talk to their friends about this issue and and come up with some facts through these websites and uh, and just talk gentle. I mean, just do it in a convincing way. Have a couple bullets. It's not fair to the wolves. The cost of this is extremely high. And it's more fiscally responsible if we just let them migrate in naturally, even though it might take another 20 or 30 years. 
they're looking at these wolves up in the northwest corner, this little small pack, and they examined the feces on this, and they found out that the wolf worm, it's called hyatic worm disease, that was carried by Idaho and Montana wolves, 60% of them when they were tested, uh, can get into the human population and wildlife population and domestic livestock and weaken animals. And people have died from it and people have been sick by it. So that's another little bolt in the holster I talk about is, uh, you know, it's not one that's going to convince everybody that this is not a good, great idea. But if, if, if you have enough facts and, and talk to it in an educated way, a convincing way, then you can maybe sway some people to say, yeah, don't don't vote this way, vote this way. You know, stay, say no to the uh, to the forced introduction. Yeah. Right. And you're bringing up a very valid point that drives me nuts, and I know it drives you nuts too, of just the, the brashness of conversation that some of us hunters have at times. It's not in an educated format. It's not... Uh, it's not cordial to the uh, the op- opposing side, and sure, I, I I I agree with that hundred percent. I I am a law and order guy, and with my 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 natural resource background of biology and geology and stuff like that, and respect for the wildlife, uh, I would never SSS as you see sometimes on these websites or say any wolf is a good wolf; it's dead or SSS, shoot, shovel, and shut up, I would never do that. I, if I would mistakenly shoot a wolf, I would turn it into Division of Wildlife so they could continue their research on it, like some guy did up in Kremlin a couple of years ago when he mistaken a wolf for a coyote and turned it in, and everything was all fine. He did everything good. But, yeah, I think, I think uh, people need to just address their, uh, their wording when they're talking about wolves and, and – uh, and, and come up with a little bit better uh, responses other than uh, the best wolf is a dead wolf. Because they, in some areas, they're, they're magnificent creatures. Uh, I, I just don't think, and Stop the Wolf doesn't, and protecting wildlife, Coloradoans, don't think it's a good fit for Colorado and our population. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is 83% of the voters in Colorado live along the front range. So they have nothing invested in nothing at harm. And... Uh, they're going to get their mail-in ballot. They're going to go to the polls, and all of a sudden, it's going to be right in front of them, just like this girl and the woman in the in the uh, ice cream shop the other day when I walked up to her and said, "Let me have ten minutes." And ten minutes later, she says, "You know, thank you for very much. I didn't know any of that." And so uh, it's and that what we're like, trying. That sounds like that was trying, a, a good conversation, and not one that was brash and full of emotion that just invoked more emotion. And got sure. zero, zero. Well, distance. I usually start out by saying there's no doubt that the wolf is a gorgeous animal. I mean, just look at those eyes staring at you, and you see pictures of these wolves are just gorgeous. But they just don't fit here in Colorado, and they're, and it's not fair to the wolf to bring them into a state with, with 6 million people and maybe 8 million people in the next 20 or 30 years. It's just not fair, and it's not fair to the cattlemen who are trying to make a living out, out west either. And people that will recreate, there's always there's going to be conflict, no doubt about it. And, uh, oh, you'll always hear about how great wolves are to have around because they'll bring back the critical balance of nature. But like I asked this one gal on the blog, I said, show me one place in Colorado where the wolves will bring back the critical balance of nature. And that's actually in the, uh, in the resolution that they're voting on. 
it's safe. Once established, the gray wolf will bring back the critical balance of nature. So I ask people, show me one place in Colorado where they're going to do that. I've traveled all over Colorado. I don't see any stream beds being ruined or overgrazing or this and that because we maintain a pretty healthy elk population. And if it gets too high, then we use hunters to go in there and we crop off a bunch of cow elk. And pretty soon it's back down to 260,000 and then they evaluate it again. And so using hunters as a tool is the main thing. And we don't, we don't mind paying the price to have licenses and, uh, and do that. And of course, and then we end up with a freezer full of great wild game meat too. So, right. So one last thing, give us two scenarios, what you predict will happen. One wolves come in slowly versus wolves are reintroduced forcefully. Okay. So I think they believe that there might be, I don't know what, how many numbers, I I don't know how many wolves are in Colorado. I'm going to say 20 around northern Colorado and maybe out west somewhere. I'll just say that's, and I don't know that for sure. There could be 10 or there could be 30. I just don't know. I don't know what this wolf pack in the northwest corner is going to do. I heard it had three females in it, and they certainly could mate with a male. And they're, So the growth rate of a wolf pack is 38%. So you can do the math. Every year, it's, they found this up in Yellowstone and some of the other states. The growth is 38%. So they can grow quite rapidly. And even though they say we're going to reintroduce wolves on designated public and private lands, are the wolves going to stay there? Wolves migrate. Vaughn Baker, superintendent of the Rocky Mountain National Park, I went there and testified against killing elk in the park and burying them because there was too many. Of course, the pro-wolfers came in and said, oh, well, I'll let you have natural predators come in here, and, and we'll take care. they'll take care of the elk herd, and they'll reduce it very nicely, and you won't have to pay anybody because they were going to use sharpshooters over a 20-year period and, and spend $18 million doing that to call the elk down in the park. And I testified, it's a shame you're, you're treating these elk like domestic cows, and then you're going to bury them in the park. And I, so we got enough support. Yeah, it was. And it's a wanton wasting. I mean, it's a wanton waste. It's against the law. And so a, a bunch of us convinced the Division of Wildlife and the park officials through pressure to get some citizens culling groups. You couldn't call them hunters because you can't hunt in the Rocky Mountain National Park. And they would come in as a group, and they would learn how to shoot properly, and they knew how to, why they were doing it. And they would go in there, and they'd shoot 20 cow elk, and then they'd test them for chronic wasting disease. And if they all came up negative, then they would put them, Division of Wildlife spent our money to put them in freezers and process them, and they'd call you up because you put your name in the lottery, and they'd say, come and get your elk. We got it for you. And so it, they served a good purpose. They helped reduce the elk herd uh, by basically hunters, culling groups, and uh, then they utilized the meat, which was wonderful. They haven't done that for seven years now in the park. They haven't done any of that because they've got the elk herd under control that way, and of course the Division of Wildlife control some of the elk around outside the park also so um hmm. i don't know where i was going with that so bring me back to <laughs> just the, our, our possible situations oh yeah there Scenarios. we go there we go so so the possible situation is that they just migrate in naturally uh colorado has a plan uh of what to do with migrating wolves now like i said before the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service still has complete control over the wolf populations in the United States, except the three states above us. 
they are, they were delisted up there, but they're still listed here. And as long as that happens, any plan that Colorado has is has going to, be, going to have to be approved by the federal government unless they delist them statewide and as I, or U.S. wide. So, like I said. If even if they come up with a draft policy that's approved and then it goes into effect, there's going to be lawsuits, and that might take quite a while to to mitigate that situation as far as uh, bringing bringing that uh, the delisting back to reality. And it might take years to do that. It all depends on how much the pro wolfers will spend on it to, to to try to defeat that. So if they just migrate in naturally, then they just do that. And uh, so we might have 10 wolves, 20 wolves, 30 wolves, 40 wolves, 50 wolves over the next, you know, 50 years. And that's ma- and it's fiscally responsible. It hasn't cost anybody anything except, you know, a few bucks here and there. So let's say there are forced in. Well, we saw and heard about the financial impact already. And we know that there's at least four areas in wilderness areas that will can handle wolves. So based on canopy... This is always interesting because I was listening to the peer review or list, read it, the peer review of the uh, of the draft environmental impact statement for the Fish and Wildlife about delisting wolves. The peer review, review person said, based on canopy on western Colorado, we're talking national forests and all the everything, the canopy can support a thousand wolves. Now, will there be a thousand wolves in Colorado? I doubt it. The pro-wolfers say there's enough prey, moose, deer, and you never hear about the moose. They always talk about elk and deer, but you never hear That's them say moose. That's it really is. Interesting. It, it is. It is. I never see. They never throw in moose into the equation. And they said at least there's enough prey out there to sustain at least 500 wolves in Colorado. So are we going to have 500 wolves in Colorado? I don't know. I, and are I, those numbers figured? by removing hunters out of the uh, the equation well who knows that that i tried you know i you you hear some some theories about well they want to bring wolves in so there'll be less hunters and no hunters and eventually they'll want grizzlies back and they'll want the wolves to come and more wolves we have that's the less hunting and that's their whole goal is to eliminate all types of hunting well there's no doubt about it I would expect that many people on these pro-wolf organizations, uh, from the Colorado Sierra Club to Defenders of Wildlife, are not hunters or fishermen. They don't contribute anything to Colorado's economy as far or scientific game management. They've just got their agenda. They want what's best for wildlife, if it's a wolf or a bobcat or a lynx or, you know, or even a grizzly in the near future. Not the near future, but it's a possibility. Right, right. So it, but it probably won't happen. So. I, I don't know how many wolves I would when you think about Yellowstone and they brought in 34 and they brought in 34 in Idaho and now there's uh there's only 100 left in Yellowstone but there is um uh not let's see I got it right here in Montana they have 900 wolves Yellowstone has 100 Wyoming has 300 Idaho has 1000 Washington has 150 Oregon has 137 California has 10 so that's the wolf population north and west of here. And then Minnesota has 2,600. Wisconsin has 900. Upper Peninsula has six to 700. And lower upper Michigan has 97. So that's the wolf populations that we know about in those recovery areas. Uh, I don't know how much it will be. I suppose that the Division of Wildlife has to have a plan. They will say, okay, 
since it's being forced on us, we're going to introduce 10, 20 wolves this year, 10, 20 here, 10, 20 there. Pretty soon we'll have 100, and we'll cap it off at 200. Anything beyond that, we're going to have hunting seasons, just like they do up north of here, if they have full control over horse population. So I guess if I had long-range predictions, I doubt if there would ever be more than 250 wolves in Colorado. Uh, but that's when the lawsuits come in, just like they did up north. They postponed it and postponed it through the courts until there was a huge amount. They were way over uh, projected recovery goals in those three states north of us. And I would expect that something like that could happen here, that the, that the pro-workers could bring the issue to the courts, and the courts would have to decide on little picky issues, and they would keep postponing, uh, delisting the wolf in Colorado uh, through the Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and they might let the wolf grow, you know, more and more and more. So that could happen, but kinda, I don't know if it will, but kind of like history, the, history says it will. Yeah. Kind of like the grizzly bear season. And was it Wyoming? That's just like, or whatever, one of those three States yes. where it just, they even did a draw and then those people never got to even go. <laughs> Cause. Oh, sure. Well, grizzlies up there are having a bigger impact on the cattle industry than some of the wolves are now. It's yeah, a huge I bet. impact. I bet. Yeah. Huge impact. So I don't know what the future holds. I just hope that uh, it's it's going to be disappointing if this, if this, let's say this this initiative loses like forty. So it takes a little over fifty percent of the voters to say say yes to have this go through. So I'm I'm hoping that there's fifty one percent saying uh, saying no to this issue. I'm hoping, and I'd hate to lose by just a few votes. And so I've asked uh, Stop the Wolf, since they've raised some money, but probably never enough, how are they going to get the word out? And so I know they have had a collection of billboards across the state. There's one in Denver they were supposed to have up or rebuild, and it was donated. There's a couple going on, on up towards Fair Play. There's one over near Craig and a couple others that are supposed to have some type of poster on it, maybe showing a, a wolf surrounding a, a moose or an elk and wolves kill this, wolves kill that. Uh, I know that uh, retired Senator Ted uh, Harvey uh, is our head of our PAC group, and he's been he's a social media expert, and he's been on a lot of social media. Uh, I've been trying to personally uh, answer any editorial that I've seen in some of the papers uh, about wolves, and I, I, I just... I don't know if you're aware of the publication of the Steamboat Magazine. No. It's a very nice, classy, glossy issue. And a, a gal named uh, uh, Miss Lay wrote an article, and basically it wasn't neutral. She did her very best to convince Colorado voters that the forced introduction was a good thing. So I wrote the magazine, and I said she never mentioned 39 counties that signed a resolution opposing it. She never viewed the two state organizations that I've mentioned recently. She never mentioned that 98% of the $1.4 million came from out-of-state groups telling our biologists that they knew better than they did. She never mentioned who would pay for forced introduction uh, of seven, $8 million. Or $8 million. So they are right, they're, they're going to print my, uh, my response in the magazine. Well, that's uh, great. Yeah, and so I've been trying to do that, and a couple of my friends have been trying to, to get the uh, – get the Denver Post. I don't. Uh, they've written, written some responses back. Uh, so little by little, but boy, to get to get, how do you get 
with 83% of the voters along the front range. Yeah. With hardly anybody's reading newspapers anymore. Right. And through social media, how many people are actually on social media? And you got, what, 5% or 6% of the people in Colorado hunt? And so, boy, there's a lot of people out there that just don't have a clue, and they're going to look at their ballot, and they're going to go, ooh, that'd be cool. Right. They used to be here. I think I'll vote them in. Right. So I'm hoping that some of this, more of this information gets out to the best it can. And, uh, and we need to visit stopthewolf.org? Yes, it is. Stopthewolf.org, and then Colorado's Protecting Wildlife is is a website, and also their pack is uh, Rethink the Wolf. There's a lot of information there. They can read through it all and uh, have some selling points that when they meet somebody in a nice way and have a good conversation, just say, are you aware of this situation? And let me give you some facts. And uh, maybe you can sway a few people. That'd be, that'd be great. We certainly need the support. And I think hunters need that support, too. I think we as a, organiz- a group of people that supports the Division of Wildlife and thinks highly of our wildlife in Colorado, that, uh, that the majority of them believe that uh, this is a bad idea and let them migrate in naturally, but don't force it upon us. It's not physically responsible, and it's not fair to the wolf. So right. that's my soapbox. <laughs> well, and I think that's a perfect spot to end on and a good idea, good good ideas there and, and uh, information to, to end on. So I want to thank you so, so much. Uh, hunting season's been rough on the podcast because I've been hunting. <laughs> so, I know. As though I, I know. I, we needed a good interview and some good info for, for the listeners. So this is, this was for sure a good one. And I appreciate your time and, and information, your research, all the, all the time you've put into this, who knows, I'm not sure if you're logging your hours doing this, but uh, I'm sure that's a full-time well, I job. Get, and I, get, some. I, get, I get paid with satisfaction. And, of course, in two weeks I'll be heading to Nebraska to deer hunt. Then I'll go back down to Arizona, and I'll throw in a little duck and goose hunting along the way. And my black lab is needs some exercise, so I'll get him out for pheasants and enjoy Colorado and its wild game. And But uh, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed your podcast over the years, and uh, – what a pleasure. I'm gonna I've been on a couple others, uh trying to get the word out and I'm gonna re reintroduce this subject uh, next week with another podcast just to reinforce some of the things that are going on to make sure that they haven't forgotten and get some word out. So now yeah, that the hunting season is somewhat over, at least as far as bow hunters go. Right. But thank you, sir. Yep. Very, very nice conversation. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.